Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports, an opening night of the NBA edition, where we're going to talk about the, well, frankly, at points depressing, certainly fascinating, interesting opening day of the NBA with Dan Feldman. But first, I just want to remind you, if you get the chance, you like this podcast, please go to the iTunes page, subscribe there, comment there, bump us up, tell us what you think and what you want to see. Also, you can subscribe to us on the Stitcher app and, of course, find all of these podcasts from all over NBC Sports at NBCSports.com. And we're going to welcome in our man Dan Feldman to break down what was just kind of an insane opening night in the NBA. Dan, welcome aboard. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. It was, I mean, it was just not an expected night at all, obviously, when you're talking about the Gordon Hayward injury, five minutes, 15 seconds into his first game as a Boston Celtic, uh, he goes down with his one of the more gruesome basketball injuries I, I, you've ever seen. I mean, it's you know you're mentioning Paul George and and Ware from Louisville and those kind of injuries when you're talking about this. It really just it kind of sucked the air out of the game for a while, if if not the whole game itself. So I've never completely like been on the same page as everyone else about what these gruesome injuries look like because you can kind of contort your leg to look weird for a second without like doing anything you could just sit down and do it right now and like okay you could make you could bend your foot back or like do some weird things and i don't know what you see it when people freak out i freaked out at this one like you could see it like this one looked bad fortunately it sounds like all things considered, it's kind of good news that it was. It sounds like it might be a clean break and uh, not necessarily the bigger, longer-lasting, more extreme damage on the scale of these things. Yeah, I mean, uh, the big news I've heard today. I mean, for the official de- de- diagnosis, it is a dislocated ankle and as well as a fractured tibia down there, but. What didn't happen was broken blood vessels or, or or torn ligaments, which would really add recovery time to this. I mean, obviously the ligaments will get stretched in this situation, but that that can those can heal. But there isn't, like you said, the kind of thing that would wouldn't. I mean, will he be back this year? I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to try to play that game too much. I, I suppose it's possible, but I can also tell you, I can't imagine the Celtics are going to rush him back, thinking, man. If we get him back for the playoffs, everything's different. I don't know that they're going to do that that way. I mean, it's a fine line, but if he's ready to go in the playoffs, I also don't think they're going to say, well, look at 
we've got our chemistry all sorted out like sorted out like yeah we're just gonna leave him on the shelf if he's ready if he's ready he's ready and if that happens in the middle of the playoffs and they're still alive I think he'll be back yeah I'm just I will see what kind of timeline that is like I said I expect them to go a little Joel Embiid on him here and and really keep it tight and I mean if you're the Celtics if you're Danny Ainge this doesn't really change things for you long-term, does it? I mean, you were never really thinking... I mean, maybe they were a little bit, but I don't think that they were like, man, this is the year we go after the Cavaliers. We are. They have always been long-term. We're going to be next. We're going to be ready when LeBron fades or decides to become a Laker or whatever he does next. We're not targeting right now. And that doesn't... And this just kind of falls in line with that. They will have Gordon... Whether he comes back this season or not, they will have Gordon Hayward back next season, hopefully, knock on wood, very much close to, if not his vintage self. And if they've got that and they've got Hayward and they've discovered, you know, hey, how good is Jalen Brown this year? And he develops a little more. And I mean, and how does Jason Tatum develop now that he's going to get more minutes? And, you know, they decide what they're going to do with Marcus Smart, who's going to get more run. Um, once they figure all that out, they plug him back in, and then they're even a better team, plus whatever off-season roster moves they make to kind of bolster the defense and, and fill in the gaps. But I think they're going to learn a little more about what those gaps are now. You are right that future years were definitely the priority. But I think this year mattered to the Celtics. They traded uh, the Nets pick, which most of us project to be in the top five, and a, and a draft that looks pretty good at the top, at least. Uh, they traded that pick to get help for this season. You know, I, I think they are accepting a little bit that, yeah, the Cavs probably would be better. But by no means were they like, hey, th- this season doesn't count. It's all about the future. They definitely wanted to be able to win this year if the Cavs slipped a little bit or they, they gelled more quickly than expected. Like, they wanted to be in that position. Now a lot of that is out the window. Uh, like you said, it could be good for the long term with some of these younger players getting more opportunities, but they were always going to have opportunities. This team was set up pretty well to give Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown healthy roles and, and seeing what they could do in it and giving them all of the opportunities to develop already. Now, instead of just like it being like a healthy, here's your chance, there's going to be pressure on those guys to deliver. Uh, I think there's going to be pressure on them on a few fronts. Um, a, I think the offense at moments starts to resemble a little what we saw last year with, with Boston, which is... A, Instead of the Isaiah Thomas show, it just becomes the Kyrie Irving show. I mean, he is now, they'd lost their secondary shot creator and a guy who was kind of be a glue guy and, and is used to playing an emotion offense. And, and there's, Brad Stevens is, Brad Stevens is still going to try to run the motion stuff, but he is definitely going, you know, look, there's going to be moments where they just turn Kyrie loose. Uh, he had 22 and 10 last night and looked pretty good in that role, but he's got to get some shooting around him. I mean, this is, they shot 25% from three. Marcus Smart struggled. Jalen Brown struggled. Teams are going to sag off of them a little bit. If They've got to find a way to get some outside shooting to go down, and they've got to find a way to get some stops, which is something that was a... I mean, the shots and the depth on the wings were kind of questions even before this season started, and now they just got exacerbated. So I think, I think some of this falls on Marcus Smart, who, you know, he's... The positional revolution, he, he's a little more ambiguous than most, but for so long had been treated like a point guard by a lot of people and so has developed some passing skills uh, his shooting's not there the creativity's not necessarily there uh but some of it's going to fall on him to keep the ball moving and uh, i'm a little leery of of jason tatum and jalen brown doing that stuff now but some of it's going to fall to them too 
Uh, yeah. But I think I think Marcus Smart is the guy you look at who's most equipped to do it uh, because of his experience, because his size has really made him a quasi point guard. He's he's had to work on these things, uh, which could be great for him in a contract year because he didn't get that contract extension. Well, I think that you just hit on the big point. He's he's playing for a contract now, and I think that 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 is one of the things that could really see him making plays, trying to do a little more, trying to really play within the system, and and, and basically say to Boston, "You need me. You need me in the system. You know, you need me to be here for you." And uh, you know, especially with Avery Bradley now gone, they're they're going to need some. You know, he's going to have a lot of defensive requirements falling on his head as well. So uh, it's going to be interesting for the Celtics going forward. I mean, do you think? I had them about 52 wins, 53 wins. I figured low 50 somewhere before the season. I think they drop off a little here, but I don't know that it's dramatic. I, you know, maybe five or six games into the high 40s. Yeah, we're on a similar page. And I guess one more player uh, we'd be remiss not to mention is Marcus Morris. Oh, yeah, yes. Right now, but when, when he gets back and he gets gets healthy, he can step in. And he has a little bit of playmaking ability. He's not Gordon Hayward, uh, but, but he can be that veteran presence if what I think is a likely event that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum aren't ready for all of that. But yeah, I also had him in the low fifties. I think this costs them a handful of wins and it could cost them playoff seeding yeah. because I think the wizards were, were close behind. And then with the other teams, like, yeah, I, I still, I guess I'd still pick them ahead of the, the Raptors and bucks, but, but between them, uh, one of those two could easily pass Boston. Yeah, I mean, if the if the Bucks get it together and actually play defense this season, I think that they become a a, a much more dangerous team. Um, you know, we'll see if Jason Kidd can get them to do that and and get them out of this gambling style that he loves so much. the The other part, though, I think you mentioned that was big to me. I think the Wizards very well could move into this two slot and really get their eyes on the conference finals at this point. Depending on how you know, can they stay healthy? Obviously, but if they're healthy, that's a that is look. That starting five put up Warriors-like starting five numbers last year. Their problem was every time they went to the bench, it was an absolute and utter disaster. Well, this year, look, last year, basically Dan or I could have been their backup point guard. Like they got so little out of the backup point guard spot. Tim Frazier's not all that, but he's solid. He's a, a solid NBA backup point guard. I think you know Kelly Oubre takes a step forward. They've just they've got a little more depth, and, and some of it'll be internal growth. But I think that they will be better off the bench and not as bad, and that could propel them maybe to the two seed. And like I said, that brings them into a conference finals type of of mode, and it, it gets John Wall it gets John Wall in a stage where he wants to be, where he's pushing for all NBA and those kind of things, which I think he's been doing anyway. It's just a guard crop is so deep <laughs> that, that that it's it, that. But I think you know he moves into some of the conversations he wants to be in as a superstar. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the Wizards have been kind of hovering. They've been on the verge of those conference finals. You look at last year, like, home court advantage was probably the difference. Throughout the playoffs, you know, their record at home was excellent. Their record on the road was terrible, uh, which hasn't always been the case for them. But they're such a borderline team where where this could make the difference. Even if Hayward comes back, let's say somehow Hayward comes back in April for long for a couple weeks and gets ready to go and is at full swing by the playoffs, really – if both these teams are hitting on their preseason projections back to where we thought they would be by then, if the Wizards have used all this time to be the two seed and the Celtics are the three, that could alone be enough to swing the series. It very well could. I, I, 
I think it's going to, it makes the East a little more interesting. I mean, it was always kind of, I still think it's Cleveland and everybody else. I think Boston's defensive issues and some of the, some of the problems they're going to face beating Cleveland were exposed last night. They, I mean, not that anybody really has anybody to stop J, uh, LeBron James. Maybe, maybe San Antonio has that guy who's pretty good, but like the, you know, uh, Kevin Durant did an admirable job in the playoffs, but in the finals last year, but Jalen Brown was getting abused <laughs> at the end of that game down to the post. And there's, and that's not a knock on Jalen Brown. Like he's not equipped to do that job. Um, as good a defender as I think Jalen Brown can be. I mean, LeBron James in the post is an absolute beast and there's just not much he can do about it. And, you know, that's an experienced team. Kevin Love made some shots down the stretch. That, that's a, a Cavaliers team that knows how to get wins. And, and I think that's something Boston's just going to have to learn over time too and, and, and get healthy doing, you know, to do it. So it's a setback for Boston, but I don't think this is – it's not an end-of-the-world type of situation for them. It's, 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 it's not knocking them back into the lottery or something. No, I don't think so. I mean, you saw even last night, like, I think the character of this team, which yeah. is a credit to Brad Stevens, but also uh, some of their returning players or the few, and, and really all the way up to Danny Ainge, the character of this team is strong. They played hard. Like, they looked a little shell-shocked for a while after Hayward got hurt. And they came out in the second half and made it a real competitive game. Uh, and so I think that's going to take them a long way because they have talent. Uh, but this is not a team that's just going to be so lost. No, no, not at all. I think that this is still a, a pretty good basketball team that can go can go away. So um, we'll move on really now to the other game from Monday night, which was interesting in and of itself. Uh, the Houston Rockets come from 18 points down to beat the Golden State Warriors on the Warriors' home floor on ring night. And, well, first off, Dan, do you even read much into that in, in a broad spectrum type of thing? Uh, I mean, it was a fun game. Yeah. I mean, like, basketball's enjoyable, <laughs> I guess. If you want me to go super broad. <laughs> a little yeah. more specific than that, not really. I mean, Andre Iguodala didn't play. Draymond Green left the game. Uh, you know, it, it was it was a good game by the Rockets, and here's what it, one thing it could mean. And I don't think this was going to a swing it either way, but just in case. Like, it gives the Rockets some faith that yeah. they can beat the Warriors. Maybe that's delusion. But, like, they're going to believe it now. So if you get to a point at all closer to the trade deadline where it's looking a little uncertain whether they should buy or sell or stand pat, I mean, this makes it less likely they sell. Chris Paul is going to be a free agent. Trevor Ariza, Clint Capella, they'll also be free agents. Like, there was a scenario where things didn't look good and they could have they could sell. This nudges it towards less likely. Agreed. I think, look, I think that... For the confidence of Houston, this is this is great. This is this is fantastic. They needed uh, this is the kind of boost they needed. But I think if you're the Warriors, you look back and say, uh, "I'm pretty sure we lost opening night last year by 29, and things worked out pretty well." Um, they're not look. They've won a lot. They've taken it in stride. I think you hit on the key thing for me out of this, and I you know I wrote about this in our stories at NBC. I think it shows how important Draymond Green is to this team. I mean, he had 13 assists last night to lead the team, even though he didn't play the fourth. He is—he's a guy who really moves the ball for them and keeps that set. You know, keeps things flowing. Is a, kind of a secondary playmaker, as well as the fact that he's their best defender, and they really missed that down the stretch as well. Uh, they're just that guy. You know, to use the kind of cliched way of putting it, he's not their best player, but he might be their most important. I mean, they need him. 
they need him to be there and good every night. And when he's not, they're not quite the same team. No. Uh, I, I would like to point out, though, this to me this is the biggest thing from the game. The Rockets played eight players. Yep. Eight. Like, this was a playoff rotation. The Rockets treated this like a playoff game. The Warriors treated it like game one of the regular season, and the Rockets won by one. Yeah. Like, that says something. If the Warriors want to come out of this game confident, they'd have every right to also. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that, that is a really good point. And by the way, Chris Paul did not play a ton, was a little bang, his knees bothering him, and he sat the final basically four and a half minutes, and they played a little better without him. Um, there's still some stuff to work out, I think, between him and Harden, but he did look a little slowed, so they, they went without him. Um, I'm curious if they keep him out uh, the next couple of games to, to get him right or or what they're going to do. Um, it's it's a process going forward. Was he slow because of the knee, or was he slow because he likes a deliberate tempo and looks yeah. slow next to the up-tempo Rockets? Yeah, I mean, if you look what that, that Final Four roster lineup was, it was basically last season... With with one exception, I mean they, they they were basically running last year's group out there with Harden, and that worked again. Um, and maybe they're just still more comfortable there. And, and I don't know. Maybe they get maybe they get to where they're comfortable with with Chris Paul, but it's it's not there yet. There's still some. I mean, I was watching it more than once where the ball gets inbounded to Harden, or or the Harden gets a rebound, or whatever happened. They start coming up the floor. And Chris Paul's used to having the ball in his hands, and he's running up near half court. He turns and he's like, flashes his hands, like, throw me the ball, throw me the ball, hit me with this. And Harden's like, no, I'm bringing it up. I'm going to run the offense. And I think that there's just going to be, and we saw this in Miami when Wade and LeBron, you know, peak Wade, not the, not the Wade that's in Cleveland, but the peak Wade and LeBron were together. That was, there was an adjustment period, and they spent about a year playing next to each other more than with each other, and that's something they've really got to figure out in Houston. And I'll take it even a step further. There was at least one time that I noticed where Eric Gordon did that to Chris Paul. Yeah. Where Eric Gordon's pushing it, because that's their style. They want to get into their offense, and James Harden obviously is, but so is Eric Gordon. Eric Gordon is capable of getting the Rockets into their offense quickly, and they value the, yeah. the speed of getting into what they're doing more than Chris Paul having the ball to start the play. Uh, so Chris Paul has to adjust to that uh, on both counts. And sure, I, I think he knows a little bit that James Harden is going to get that treatment. Uh, but when he's got to adjust to Eric Gordon also, uh, there's a little bit of the ego involved there, and I don't know exactly how that's going to play. Yeah, by the way, Eric Gordon looked good, 24 points in that game, yeah. and um, looking every bit the sixth man of the year candidate again for you know one game. We, we may want to wait a while before we hand out the awards, but... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the, he he did look really impressive in that opening game. Again, I just don't, how, go ahead. How is he going to win sixth man over Nick Young? I and nobody's going to beat Nick Young if Nick Young comes in and what's it <laughs> twenty four points I believe to lead the Warriors in this game. Um, yeah, I'm. We'll see if that's sustainable. It is Nick Young. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but it would be fun if it was, wouldn't it? I mean, Nick Young as a sixth man of the year candidate would be just awesome. He he was knocking six it down. Six of seven. Yeah, I would say six of seven pointers. from three. He was he was getting looks and he's knocking them down. He's a bit of a streaky shooter, but these were better, much better looks than he was getting in Los Angeles last year, where he often often had to create his own look and the defenders didn't have to leave him because the Lakers just didn't have that same kind of threat. So, um. The other really big piece of news to come out of the NBA on opening day had nothing to do with one of any of the teams playing. It's in Chicago, where 
Nikola Mirotic, the starting power forward and reserve power forward Bobby Portis, got into some kind of altercation. What I've heard is that they they started kind of a pushing match, and it well the pushing it started as a battle for position that kind of became a pushing match and a shoving match, which we've seen I don't know eight million times you know between games and practices like that's nothing unusual there, but somehow that evolved into Portis throwing a punch that dropped Miritich and left him with a fractured upper jaw and a concussion, and he's going to be out weeks. Um, and when he comes back, may have to wear a mask when he does. Um, boy, you know, the, the Bulls were going to be dysfunctional and, and a bad team already. They, they didn't even wait for the opening bell, to you know, to the, the first tip-off of the first game to really look like a mess. Yeah, they didn't have to be dysfunctional in this way. Like, they were going to be bad. But they didn't have to be dysfunctional like this. So, let me start with this. Is Nikola Mirotic the Bulls' best player right now? He might be. He's certainly a guy they're going to lean on heavily for scoring. He might have been their leading scorer this year. Might still be, obviously. Is there any player, like, who's a team's best player who gets less respect? Like, you get dropped (laughs) by Bobby Portis. And it's not even, like, nobody knows exactly what the Bulls are going to do. Like, maybe they'll trade Portis, maybe they won't. But, but like, imagine any other best player on his team getting punched by somebody like Bobby Portis. That player is gone. Bobby yeah. Portis on any other team punching the best player is gone. Miritich doesn't get that level of respect anywhere near. No. Nowhere near it. And they did just resign. I mean, Miritich just got paid a little bit, but they... they... You're right. I mean, it, it's not quite the same, but that speaks to the... Well, I mean, I think it speaks to the team. It's also, you know, hey, he's not... I like Miritich. He'd be a fine... You know, he's a fine part of a very good team, but he's not a leader. He's not, you know, this isn't... To, you know, you're not dropping Blake Griffin or Lonzo Ball or... You know, well, LeBron James, I don't think anybody would actually... like That, that just seems like a mistake because he's just made of granite. You would just hurt your hand. Um, but I mean, you're not going to see anybody throw that at Kyrie or anything like that. Exactly. It's just not going to happen. No, I mean, the the Bulls need to figure out something with Bobby Portis, uh, because you you can't go around hospitalizing your teammates. No, there there is a line and I don't know who's at fault here. Like we don't know the whole story. No, maybe we'd hear the whole story and say, man, I can't believe Miritich said that or did that. And like, be real mad at him. Maybe, maybe we'd be even more mad at Bobby Portis but you can't go around hospitalizing your teammates when you are a marginal player. No, exactly. But, and by the way, the, the early reports came out and said that, that Portis quote unquote sucker punched Miritich, that this, you know, uh, the Miritich didn't see it coming uh, later. That's, you know, uh, let's be blunt. Miritich's agent spun that he was sucker punched, which was followed by Portis's agent spinning that no, he was, you know, Miritich lunged at him and he was just defending himself and, you can believe what you want to believe. Um, I, unless I see video of this, I'm not sure what the answer is. Or, you know, I don't think Fred Hoiberg's going to break it down that way for us. So uh, it, it is what it is. But I think you're right. The bottom line is you, you can't punch a teammate like that. You just, you know, you can't. You, and this isn't, by the way, this isn't some NBA-specific thing. I mean, how many pushing-shoving matches do you see in NFL training camps or... You know, when guys are hitting on each other and it happens in hockey and even in hockey where there are fights, those guys don't actually fight during their own teammates during the preseason. Like it it kind of like gets squared off and people step in and they're like, all right, and everybody moves on and they go have a beer later and everybody's good. 
or or they don't like they don't get along. But I and I guess there is some long simmering stuff here, which probably ties to the fact that Portis thinks he should be getting more minutes and Miritich is getting them, uh, because Miritich can actually score the basketball, which puts him ahead of Portis on on that front. Yeah, Portis, Portis hasn't really been interesting as a player since he was barely playing and like showing glimpses while barely playing, and then when he got a bigger role, he pretty much fizzled and. Uh, you know, he's still young. Either one of them uh, could make a, a decent range out of the outcomes of their career. But Portis just hasn't been interesting enough as a player in a while to to have any credence in this. And, and I'm glad you brought up, like, the spin and how this works. Uh, part Two things on top of that, though. One, what is a sucker punch is kind of in the eye of the beholder. Like, yeah. most of the accounts have that, okay, there was some, like, jostling going on. Well, to Bobby Portis, that might mean it's a fighting situation and everybody should be ready. To Miritich, he might not have thought that. So, like, you know, it doesn't mean, like, Portis was trying to catch him off guard with a punch, but he might have. And then it also really matters what their teammates think of it, like who's to blame and who acted wrong, uh, because that's going to go a long way in the locker room going forward. Whether the teammates' perception is right or wrong, what they think is going to matter. Yeah, exactly. By the way, Bulls fans uh, officially blame Hoiberg. Just because that's what they do. Um, I mean, I don't know if they're wrong, and not in terms of who should be blamed, but who will be blamed. The coach is always blamed. Yep. Uh, you know, when we did our our hot seat list before the season, I put I put Hoiberg on on the top three uh, because because look at when when just nobody gets along when there is this dysfunction, like it does go back to the coach, fair or not. Yeah, that's that much is true. Um, we're going to move on. Now and I, and I, to, go ahead. And I also think Bulls fans blame Garpax, not Hoiberg. Oh, oh yeah, that's true. That is true. I, they, well, they break. Yeah, they, that's the bigger one because you know Garpax brought in Hoiberg, so he, he his any flaws of Hoiberg just fall on Garpax. Um, right. And, and again, I'm not even sure that that's really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Two other quick bits of news since we were, we've gotten through this a little bit quickly that we uh, from around the NBA. The other big signing in the last couple of weeks was the three-year extension for LaMarcus Aldridge staying with the the uh, San Antonio Spurs. Although that third year is what a seven only seven million guaranteed, right? So it's really kind of two years with with an option, basically. Well, it was always so. It was always two years. I I didn't really like how this got reported. So he opted. He's under contract for this season. He opted in for next season and then signed a two-year extension on top of that. Okay. So it was it was really only a two year extension, and the second year is the one that's partially guaranteed. So, he's, so it's a total of four years on his contract now. You and I both discussed this briefly. It, it's to me, it, I've described it as a marriage of convenience. Like Marcus Aldridge hasn't obviously hasn't been terrible. I don't know that Marcus Aldridge has been happy anywhere, but he hasn't been terribly happy <laughs> in, in San Antonio. So he's kind of looked around and said, well. Maybe I could move on, but he's going to look at the market. Look, he's a smart player. His agent's talking to him. He's got to look at the marketplace over the next couple of years and goes, it's tight. There's a lot of big men out there. I'm not going to make this kind of money somewhere else. Like, I don't, there's not a better offer probably sitting out there for him. Even if he is healthy and kind of returns to the all-star form of a couple of years ago, I, that big, you know, 20, more than $20 million a year money may not be out there for him. And on the flip side of that, if you're the Spurs, I think it's well. We've got this guy in house. We can make it work. He's good, and then maybe we, you know, maybe 
we make other moves around him or trade him, but right now this is the best we're going to be able to do, and I'd rather lock this up and have this in hand than potentially lose him and be scrambling. The real question the Spurs have to ask themselves, and I would lean no, and maybe they're not asking this question or even leaning yes, but the question is, is this core that they're spending all this money on to protect over the next couple of years, is this core championship caliber right now? And if it isn't, I think you owe it to Kawhi Leonard, who has proven that he can be the best player on a championship team. I think you owe it to him to say, okay, we need to get a championship core around him, and he's so young, we don't have to do it today. If we, if, it, if we need to keep flexibility in order to do it a couple of years from now, that's what we should do. If they believe right now this is a championship core and you know, they're locking that in, or at least a potential one, okay. They were up 20-something on the Warriors before Kawhi Leonard got hurt. Maybe they're banking too much on that. Maybe they're not. But I also look at all these guys are on the wrong side of 30. So even if they were going to beat the Warriors last yeah. year, whether you agree with that or not, even if they think they were, are these guys going to be better? I think most of them are going to get worse. They had the huge all-time exception in Tim Duncan. Yes. Tim Duncan remained so good throughout his 30s. Is there something the Spurs know how to do to keep their players so good throughout their 30s? Or did they just happen to have an exception or two? And if you're banking on more exceptions, that's probably a bad bet. Yeah, I mean, look, this is a good... I, I, I think unquestionably still a good team. Pau Gasol is going to be... Yes. Pau Gasol is going to be rock solid. Aldridge... Aldridge was down last year, and he was still good. Like, he's still an above-average, you know, NBA big man who's maybe well above average. Um, And they're going to play their system. As always, the Spurs aren't going to beat themselves. So this is a good team, but the bar for championships, well, I mean, even if you took Golden State out of the picture for just, you know, as an anomaly, if you took them out of the picture... Uh, I'm still not convinced you get to the playoffs and this team can beat Golden State. I mean, can beat um, Houston or Santa, um, Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. Sorry. They're just not athletic enough. And I think in a, in a seven-game series, if the matchups become a problem for them, I, I'm kind of with you. I, I don't know that I would have paid to keep this together. I would have considered other moves. But there's this weird thing that we I think I've started to do where I'm like, yeah, but it's the Spurs. Like I, I feel weird questioning them because in two, in, they're going to pull something out and do something. I'm like, oh, well, that was brilliant. Didn't see that coming. They just tend to make the right move, so I give them the benefit of the doubt where I will not do that for, say, the Knicks. Um, sure. <laughs> um, but I'm not sold on this move. I'm not sold that Aldridge there for the next few years, like you said, gets them where they want to be when you've got Kawhi Leonard kind of in his going into his prime as a – an MVP caliber can, like you said, you've got a finals MVP. You've had the best player on a finals team in in him already. Can they put a team around him to help him get back there? I don't know. And and so we got to be fair to them. Like, yeah, I agree. They might not be athletic enough to match up with the Rockets and Thunder, but we said the same thing last year and they look pretty good beating the Rockets. Yep. But, but when you're locking into these players who are at 30 or so, I think that challenge just becomes greater during their contracts. Yeah. Like, they beat they beat the Rockets last year, but I think they'd have a harder time beating them this year. I think they'd have a harder time beating them next year. I think they'd have a harder time beating them the year after that. And so I, I don't, I'm not a fan of their trajectory, but I'm, I get what you're saying. Like, it is hard to question the Spurs because they keep proving you wrong. Exactly. If I, you doubt them. Exactly. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not fully doubting them, but I think, 
I think they're the three or four seed, but they're still bounced in the second round. I don't think they're the biggest threat of those of the top. The, they're the least of a threat of the three teams kind of behind Golden State in the West. Um, the one other interesting bit of news, Joel Embiid will be playing, but on a teens minute limit, a minute limit, probably in the teens. Uh, uh, it, they said that Brett Brown said that that would be the goal. I've also heard less than 20 was the goal. So somewhere in the teens that, you know, for a guy who's, that doesn't seem horribly unreasonable to me to start the season for a guy who played, I think two preseason games and missed all the time he's missed. But uh, Joel Embiid does not like it at all and use some language I cannot use on a family podcast or would not say in front of an innocent young man like Dan uh, to to describe uh, his feelings about, about this. Um, At some point, is there tension there? Yeah. Do you remember last year when they pulled him out of a game? I, I can't remember if the game went to overtime, and so he was like right up at his limit, or was late in the fourth. I think it went to overtime, and he kicked at a chair, but also almost hit a seventy-sixer staffer. Like yeah. he was just kicking so wildly, he almost just hit a dude, kicked a dude. Like there's a lot of tension there, and uh, I think Embiid keeps saying like trust the process is kind of like a, a mantra to him, and to the point where you internalize it a little bit and say, okay, like I hate this, this is terrible, I'm mad about it. But, like, I do have to remember that we are trusting the process looking. And so it's healthy for him. Uh, and I think on a certain level he gets it. But on a certain level, like, yeah, there's a lot of tension. Yeah, and he just, look, he just wants to be unleashed. I think he's felt bottled up by the minutes limits and obviously by the injuries and the stuff that's kind of happened to him. And he just wants to, look, when he's played, I mean, let's be right, honest, that those 31 games were really impressive. And he's like, I want to just go at the league, me and Ben Simmons, and turn this into a playoff team and be a danger in the East, or at least be, you know, a relative danger in the East and an up-and-coming team, and he's feeling held back right now, and that's frustrating him. But, you know, it's a marathon of a season, and I think that that's how it's going to go. I mean, it's just, they, they will loosen that, I think, as time goes on. I think even early in the season, if if they get to 18 minutes tonight against the Wizards and this is a close game with four minutes to go, he's going to keep playing. Like, I don't think they're pulling him out. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle it, though. Unleashed is such a great word for him because look at what he's done when he's played. Like, his usage rate has been so high. His turnover rate has been so high. He's doing everything. He's just going wild at it, and it's effective. Uh, But I am like, the next step for him eventually... We're obviously not near there yet, but eventually it's going to be him playing more minutes and playing a little bit more methodical in those minutes. And so we'll kind of see how, how he adjusts with that give and take because he can't he can't play that style that he played in those limited minutes and limited games last year over the long haul all the time. Nobody can do that except for uh, maybe Russell Westbrook. Yeah, or LeBron James could if he cared to. Uh, he just does not wish to anymore. Um. <laughs> well, it, it's a mindset thing, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, as part of it is like, hey, I don't care if I turn over. I don't care if I take all the shots. Like, everything's going through me all the time, and I'm going to be wild with it. Like, it's a mental thing, too. And I don't know if LeBron has, like, that degree of recklessness uh, in him. Yes. Westbrook, on the other hand, has it in spades. And, <laughs> and it, that's, part of the, that's part of what makes him so good and so fun to watch and, and, and such an entertaining player. But, he, yeah, he is... As fearless as they come, um, as I think you can just tell from his wardrobe. Like nobody, nobody else would wear that stuff, um, except for you, Dan. Um, <laughs> so I'll let you get back to your clothes shopping um, and, and wardrobe picking out. Uh, thanks for doing this. 
I got to find something that takes a very subtle shot at Kevin Durant. Like, that's apparently what's in fashion now. (laughs) Exactly. Some sort of cupcake clothing. Um, (laughs) Dan, uh, where can everybody find you on Twitter? I'm at Dan Feldman NBA. Thanks a lot, and thanks again, everybody, for listening. We will be back next week uh, talking Philadelphia 76ers specifically with Jessica Camarado on Monday. Uh, Looking forward to that. And I will, again, log on to iTunes, subscribe, comment, uh, find us on the Stitcher app and at NBC Sports, and thanks for listening. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.